Hi everyone, my name is Raina Fandozi, and in this podcast, I'm going to be talking about common backgrounds and childhood shared between leaders and the differences in male and female leading styles. Today, we're going to figure out different backgrounds between leaders, but more than that, if there are any similarities between them. We're going to look at both their childhood and college experience, or more anything before their role as the prominent leaders we see them as. We'll be also talking about male and female leading styles, and if there are any similarities or differences within them. We see that most good to great companies were led by people who shared common leadership traits. We can see that these similarities may be drawn from similar childhood experiences that shaped who they are and how they act. Betty Lou did several interviews and talked one-on-one with many different leaders to see the similarities and differences in how they each grew up and how it still affects them today. A big factor in childhood is economic status, and we see that most of the successful leaders had come from either working class or the middle lower class. They describe working hard for everything and enjoying few to little luxuries. We can also see that most powerful leaders, there were powerful influences or lessons taught to them in their childhood that stuck with them throughout their life. Regardless about the money the family had, we see that almost all leaders were raised and lived life in modesty. They learned from both positive and negative experiences and responded to these lessons with strong work ethics and perseverance to these influential lessons. Nearly all leaders can recall stories about their parents' effect on them and even can use some of those lessons now. Many leaders have had unique experiences that are viewed as important. We see that sometimes experiences can influence people and even be a prominent memory that defines who they are today. Most of all leaders had a family that valued education and communicated that value as well. We also see a great amount of these leaders being the first ones in their family to attend college. In school, these powerful leaders were chosen for roles with responsibility and were encouraged to take these responsibilities and expand their own belief in their own abilities. The leader personality trait is defined as adults as social dominance and assertiveness. Most leaders have a combination of unrelenting desire to achieve their best and a passion to help others, and these traits can stem from childhood and even parental expectations. Most of the leaders we see today have at some point in their life had a turning point or something that has stuck with them throughout life. For example, Chris Birch, co-founder of Tory Birch, was born with dyslexia and suffered from ADD, anxiety, and panic attacks. Because of all of these setbacks, he had to learn a way to work through it and build his own sense of self where he wasn't helped. John Chen, the CEO of BlackBerry, grew up modest and poor and was the son of immigrants who fled communist China. He had watched a lot of people do the same thing, but his parents were educated people. And although they had nothing when they came, he watched them build up what they had and used that as an influence on the way he lived and built up his success. Some research that was recently done suggests that firstborn children have better odds of becoming CEOs. Not only that, but firstborns are more likely to hold managerial positions and tend to make more money. They are more likely to have college degrees as well. We can explain this through the fact that they had lots of mom and dad time early on, which may make them more successful in the future. Some believe that corporations owned by a particular family might pick the oldest child to run because firstborn's personalities tend to resemble those of their parents more closely. Once hired, CEOs, firstborn or not, tend to run companies consistent with their upbringing, 
The parents are likely to choose the person that's like them the most, the firstborn, to run the farm. It's shown that the firstborn children are 30% more likely to be CEOs or politicians. Parents invest a lot of time establishing rules for their first child, building a reputation for toughness that they hope will trickle down to their later children. As a result, firstborns are doubly blessed, lavished with their parents' attention, and then entrusted to act as the rules enforcer of the family, which builds intelligence, discipline, and leadership qualities. Having more children means parents can spend less time on each child, and as parental investments decline, so may IQ. Children with higher socioeconomic backgrounds have been shown to be more risk-averse. We are not quite sure why this is the case, but we can guess it is due to their successful parents and having access to winning formulas. Therefore, they may feel less need to alter their blueprint for success. Socioeconomic backgrounds were the strongest determinant of the executive's risk aversion, but not the only one. Trauma is a catch-all category used to refer to adverse events in CEOs and leaders' childhoods, from the genuinely traumatic to the merely difficult and disorienting. The former types of experiences were linked to more conservative corporate leadership, while the latter seemed to indicate the amount of risk that was good from the bottom line. There is a profound implication in this idea that family dynamics during childhood can shape adult personality. Young children are exquisitely sensitive to their environment in ways that can often have lasting effects. As we can see, a person's childhood can affect the way they think and act in adulthood, but different factors can affect different people in different ways. Everything from economic status to birth order can affect a person, and in this specific case, with the research done, we can come to a conclusion that some, if not most, leaders grew up in modesty. Regardless if their family had any money or not, they usually were not spoiled, and also grew up having a strong figure. I believe this strong figure that helped guide them in their life was a big part of the path they took, and helped them in achieving the morals and thinking style they have now. I believe that if there were no leading figure in a child's life, that would make it exponentially harder to become a prominent citizen in society, let alone a prominent leader. Birth order is a factor we see come into play as well here, implying that the order in which you are born can affect your chances of becoming a leader. Now, that doesn't mean that if you're the youngest child, you automatically have a lower chance in becoming a leader. But the benefits and disadvantages of being born last can vary. When the child is first born, parents tend to focus on that child more than the ones they do the next. But once again, that doesn't imply that the parents will do this, or even do it differently for the next children to come. There is a common misconception that people are born leaders, and that may be the case for some people. I believe that people are not necessarily born natural leaders. Now, that's not to say some people are born with a natural ability to lead, which I believe some individuals are, but I believe one can become a leader regardless of possessing these natural talents. Some of these talents can come from their childhood and correlate to the way they were raised, but I do not believe leaders are born and that's that. As we can see, there are several factors from both nature and nurture that can inhibit or provoke leadership qualities, but in the end, I believe if one tries hard enough, they can reach success. Women and men's different leading styles can be very different, and even the way they think and act can also be very different as well. We see from many reviews that women in leadership positions were perceived as being every bit effective as men. In fact, 
while the differences were not huge, women scored statistically significantly higher than men on many reviews. With updated research, we see that women are perceived as if more competent than their male counterparts. The disturbing fact is that only 4.9 of Fortune 500 CEOs and only 2% of S&P 500 CEOs are women. There are many factors that contribute to this, including bias in gender and culture. Unfortunately, stereotypes die slowly, so these old stereotypes can control promotions and even hiring decisions as well. Women were rated as excellent in taking initiative, acting with resilience, practicing self-development, driving for results, and displaying high integrity and honesty as well. We see the largest differences with leaders under 25. At 40, the confidence rating merges as people age, their confidence decreases, and at the age of 60, we see male confidence decline. Women, on the other hand, gain confidence points. We can also see that women usually have a harder time to get to higher positions, meaning they worked harder to be where they are today. We see this work and extra confidence plays into their leadership later on. Men and women have similar leadership morals and values, although women place a higher value on innovation than men do. We also see that women are usually more organized than men, as well as more honest on average as well. Several case studies have shown us that women have tend to communicate better and are oriented towards the needs of others, while men are more task-oriented. Both can be able to communicate well, we just see it more with women. The path women have to take to these positions is something called the leadership labyrinth. With this labyrinth, women encounter multifaceted barriers that not only result in the lack of numerical parity between men and women in leadership, but also critical gender differences in the nature of leadership positions. Many difficulties facing women in climbing the leadership ladder, such as domestic and child-rearing expectations that come with being a woman. Even when women have the same positions as men, they often have fewer responsibilities and are less likely to receive formal job training. Many stereotypes of women can lead to unconscious prejudices against gender, and even though someone may see their leading or hiring styles equal, it may not be. They are hard to detect both in ourselves and others. Several studies have been done, specifically the Interviewing Candidates for Employment test, which included giving many people the same resume, saying half are from a woman and half are from a man, and an overwhelming amount of people chose the male versus the female resume even though they were the same. With this prejudice comes the different types of women in leading positions. Highly feminine women are criticized for being decent leaders, and highly masculine women experience backlash for not being female enough. Women are also often penalized for expressing anger, talking more, and negotiating their salary as well because it doesn't fit the role women are supposed to play. Across the globe, female leaders still only govern about 7% of the world's population. The COVID-19 pandemic has showcased that women in power can accomplish a great deal in crisis. The global health crisis is dismantling the stereotype that men are better suited to take change by showcasing some of the characteristics that highly effective women leaders tend to possess. Creativity, decisiveness, collaboration, and transparency are among the qualities that define truly great leadership, but usually aren't recognized or even appreciated in women. Sheikh Hasina, the Prime Minister of Bangladesh, had the foresight to protect her country's 161 million people by harnessing technology. 
Devices installed at international airports in her country have screened more than 650,000 people, which led to 37,000 being immediately quarantined. She was named in the top 100 global thinkers list in the present decade and has been the longest-serving prime minister in the history of Bangladesh. The president of Taiwan, Tsai Ing-wen, through swift action, halted the virus's spread among the Taiwanese without major disruptions in daily life. The speed at which she implemented travel restrictions and instituted health checks as well, as specific approaches to case identification, containment, and resource allocation have allowed the island of nearly 24 million people to avoid lockdown. Today, we see that both men and women can and are leaders in business, politics, and even historical positions, but women are already at a much higher disadvantage. Subconscious biases, lack of opportunities, and straight-up discrimination are huge issues women face in their rise to power today. In the past, women were not even trying to get in to come into these positions. Personally, I don't necessarily believe that a man's leading style is worse than a woman's, but I believe that a woman's leading style and the way she may think maybe have come with more benefits than a man's. There tends to be more positive feedback from workers with women leaders, and in some cases, we even see a factor reaction time to crises and a better decision-making overall. A great example of this would be COVID-19, where many of the women's leaders all around the world acted quickly and carefully about their plans and how to proceed, while many other companies and associations were still behind on what to do, and the execution months after these women made their choices and executed them. Sympathy and understanding of emotion is something we see more in women leaders and is a good thing for two reasons. One, it can help us understand why women are viewed as more effective leaders and liked by their staff, and two, can help us get rid of the stereotype that leaders are cold and brutal. That is not always the case. Some might think of business and political leaders and think of them as cold, unfeeling monsters that run their businesses without a twinge of emotion. By running successful companies in sympathy and emotion in mind, we can slowly break down these stereotypes. Women are a massive help in that because they tend to lead with things that previous leaders lacked in and may even lead in a more effective style than the men as their counterparts. that a way a child grows up has a huge effect on the way they think and act as adults. We can see that most leaders have had an influential figure in their life that helped them, and even small stuff such as birth order and parenting styles can affect their odds of becoming a leader in the future as well. I don't believe all leaders were born that way. I mean, look at Elon Musk. He doesn't necessarily have a personality you would assume to be a leader, but he still is a very effective business leader nonetheless. Facing hardships regardless of their size and general everyday grit in your childhood may add to the possibility of you becoming a leader in the future or can even contribute to your mindset based on the previous research I have done. Even with the differences in male and female leading, childhood and hardships faced with gender can also contribute to the way they think and lead in the future. We look at the world we live in today we see that women tend to face more hardships in their childhood based off of discrimination in their gender than men do, and that can sometimes contribute to their thinking style and position as an adult. Now, even though this may not always be the case, there are still differences in the way that men and women lead. But who's to say which is better than the other? Keeping in mind that there may not even be any notable differences at all in the leading style, discrimination still happens and very few businesses have women leading them and there are very few political positions that women hold. As time goes on, 
We as a society can try and aid the discrimination, whether it is subconscious or purpose-driven, by making it known when it is happening. On that note, I don't necessarily believe that one gender is better in leading than the other, but I believe that some may have more benefits that make them a more effective leader overall. backgrounds, as well as male and female leading styles, can lead to some notable differences and similarities in their future leading styles as we see the leaders in adulthood. Lots of things in the time before leaders come into their positions can influence how successful they are, and even their mindsets as well. In some cases, the differences in male and female leading styles can be attributed to their childhoods and different hardships each gender had to face. Some discrimination happens with gender in almost every leading position still in today's world as well. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast, The Composition of a Leader. This was the last episode, but I just wanted to thank you for sticking with my podcast and hopefully enjoying it along the way. See you soon. (music) 